Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Uh, actually, we're going to start in chapter 16. So if you've got the notes there, we have a lot of material, and I don't know how much of that we'll cover tonight. And some of the, some, there's, uh, the notes are pretty full tonight that I'm giving to you because some of the stuff I'm not going to cover, but it's just there for homework. Uh, there's some scriptures I'm going to reference. I've tried to highlight them with gray, uh, so you'll know that I'm not going to read those. But if you want to really study more and you want to get more out of this, then go back with your notes and read those portions of scripture because there's a lot there. So we're going to start with Revelation chapter 16 and with the seventh bowl, because we didn't finish with all seven of those bowls last week. So let's look at chapter 16 of Revelation, and we'll begin with verse 17, and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. We just lift up Boris and Lena, uh, Boris and Helen, we lift up their church to you right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We lift up the friends that we know the people that are close to us, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to stand like the two witnesses in the book of Revelation in these last days, to stand as apostles and prophets and to speak your word, Lord, without fear and trust your word, what you spoke to Paul in Acts chapter 18, that I am with you and no man will do you harm, Lord. I thank you for uh, Baris, for Boris having the courage to be involved in this ministry, to take food and clothing and water to people that need that, Lord, even if there's a danger of his life in doing that, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, that you have your people, that there are Christians all around the world in hot spots, in place that, places where it's not so easy to live, Lord, and they're standing courageously for you. And I pray, Lord, that that would be uh, an example to us because I think often we think it's really um, good here and everything's just sweet, Lord, but we just don't even understand the times that we live in and how, how dangerous things are right now, Lord, and what Satan is doing in this nation against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd help us to wake up to that, Lord, in Jesus' name. I just pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we turn to chapter 16 and verse 17, we're going to look at the seventh bowl, and then we're going to get into chapter 17 that begins to talk about the fall of Babylon. And um, I really want you to pay attention. You know, I'm not going to uh, try to say that this thing is that thing, or, or if you look at this, this is that so much, but on some places it's kind of hard not to say it. And there's some things in here that are just almost impossible not to realize that if anybody fits that bill today, it's the nation that we live in uh, together today. And that, that we need to, to wake up and we need to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on and that we live in the last days. And how should we then live if we live in those last days? So let's begin with the seventh bowl. It's chapter 16 and verse 17. It says, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done, or it is finished. Remember Jesus said that on the cross. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, listen to this, 
such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds, that's really bad that they translated it that way in English because it says uh, that weighed a talent each, but a talent would have been approximately 100 pounds, but the word talent here is very important. So about a talent each. They're coming down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. So in looking at this, I'm going to go over it kind of quickly, I think, but in your notes, you'll see that you have Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And if you want to, later you can turn and you can look at it. So I want to tell you that the great city that's referenced here is the city of Jerusalem. It's not Rome, because we'll see pretty soon that Babylon is Rome, and um, not necessarily Rome in Italy today, as we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But Babylon is Rome, and so Babylon is mentioned and all the other cities are mentioned also. So the great city in that case is Jerusalem. That that's the city that's being talked about. When you look at Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, you can read more details from the prophet concerning that uh, great earthquake and that the city is divided into three parts. That there's the first part, which is Jerusalem proper. The second part, the north is divided away. The scripture tells us that when Jesus comes, that the Mount of Olives will be split in two, that there will be a great earthquake. Uh, and the third part is the southern districts. And what I want you to understand is when we looked at chapter 11, verse 13, with the sixth trumpet, which isn't that long ago because everything we're looking at is a part of the seventh trumpet, if you remember. The seven, sea, uh, seven bulls are a part of the seventh trumpet. But with the sixth trumpet, which is the second woe, the seventh trumpet being the third woe, in chapter 11, verse 13, we see that there was an earthquake that was in Jerusalem already. And that 7,000, and we talked about that number, 7,000 people died in that earthquake. So there was a judgment that came on Jerusalem already with the sixth trumpet. But this earthquake is not about judgment. This earthquake is about renovation, about cleaning house about preparing for the thousand-year reign of Christ and making a way for the coming of Christ, which is going to be in chapter 19. Remember, we're dealing with this, this section of the book that all deals with the second coming of, of Jesus. So there's a great earthquake. The great city is split into three parts. And the whole earth uh, comes under judgment because of this earthquake. It says uh, that all the cities of the nations fell. I don't know what that means, but yesterday, or just actually it was today, this morning, I was out in the canyon for just a few minutes because I took Sasha out to her riding place, and on the way back I thought I'd stop and see if the fishing was any good yet, and when I pulled over there was so much trash in the canyon, I just left, that's a tragedy in and of itself, but as I was standing there, I was looking up at the, at the canyon walls, and I was thinking about this scripture, boy, I don't want to be here when that happens. You know, can you just imagine the greatest earthquake that ever happened in the history of man? And it says 
that all the cities will fall, and Babylon the Great is remembered for God, before God. So chapters 17 and 18 are going to talk about the fall of Babylon, both of those chapters. So it's obviously very important to the Lord to give us information about that so we are prepared and so that we understand the days that we live in. But I want to draw your attention to verse 21 right now. Notice that the people, they blaspheme God, but they don't blaspheme God because of the earthquake. The earthquake really is not the plague. Remember, there are seven plagues here. These seven bulls are seven plagues. We talked about that last week and compared it to the Exodus story. The plague is actually the hailstones that fall down from heaven. And if you remember that there was such a plague in Egypt also, that the hailstones fell down from heaven. And it says that each one of the hailstones in the New American Standard it says that they weighed 100 pounds. But that's just translating the Greek to English without taking an account of what the Greek is really telling us prophetically. Because in the Greek it says they weighed a talent each. And the word talent is something that we still have in English, but it comes from the Greek. So in the tal a talent in the Greek in ancient times was a huge weight, say about 100 pounds of silver. Okay. And usually a talent wasn't even carried around because obviously that's too heavy to carry around, but it was kept on a, you know, a, a bank note or a credit, how many talents you had. So for example, the master goes away and he gives five talents to one servant, two to another, and one to another. Well, he wouldn't have given him, here's 500 pounds of silver. He would have given him bank notes that are worth, just like we have today, the exact same system, basically that are worth 500 pounds of silver. So what's really being said here, and what's really important here, is the spiritual meaning of this, that these talents fall upon their head. I want you to know this, because it's really important, that the people of the earth will reap what they have sowed. And I believe, with all of my heart, because the scripture teaches us this, that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Were it not for Jesus, can you just think for a moment in your own life how many talents you have squandered, how many opportunities you have missed, how many things that you have failed in that really we've blasphemed God in because we've refused to be obedient to him when he's blessed us with such a talent. And then if you take it beyond us who are in the church, and hopefully because you're in the church, you know, you've come to the Lord, that's all under the blood of Jesus, I understand that, and probably there wasn't quite as much, but as a nation, you know, and as a people, how many talents have we squandered? And the scripture tells us that all those things, all the things that we have, that we have sown, we will reap them in a single moment, that they will be, not we, because we'll be up there with Jesus on that sea of glass, remember we looked at last week. But the people of this earth, their talents that are squandered will come crashing down on their heads. That these hailstones will weigh a talent each. Now, I, I actually believe that, I personally believe that there will literally be huge hailstones falling on their head. But it has a great uh, significance spiritually that they are being judged according to what they have done. And the Bible says that every man will be judged according to what he has done. Hallelujah. What we have done is under the blood of Jesus. And so we are judged according to what Jesus has done, not according to what we have done. But if we are not in Jesus Christ, then we will be judged according to things which we have done. 
and these squandered talents, they crush them and they blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague is extremely severe. So let's turn to chapter 17 now. In chapter 17, it begins by saying, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls, so one of these angels, we don't know which one, doesn't matter, but one of them came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we see that in the vision or in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that's tra uh, uh, translated for him or interpreted for him by, by Daniel, that at the end of that dream, with all the kingdoms of the earth that begin with the, the golden head of Babylon, that a stone crushes the feet of that, that statue, and the whole thing crumbles to pieces. And the stone is the kingdom of our Christ, the kingdom of our God. So this is beginning before chapter 19. Both chapters 17 and 18 are going to talk about the crushing of Babylon, the fall of Babylon, which is part of the coming of the king in his kingdom, because that kingdom crushes Babylon. So we have a vision here that's described to us in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to take this just a little bit at a time, so let's look at verse 3. We read verses 1 and 2. It says, and he carried me, the angel carried me away in the spirit. So he didn't go there physically, he went in the spirit. You know, you can go in the spirit or you can go physically, and it's more real in the spirit, I want you to know. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman, physically he's still on the island of Patmos, right? But in the spirit he goes into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. Having Scarlet is a deep dark red, right? Having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and she was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. So a mystery is something we don't understand. And it said there, Babylon the Great. Well, we know where Babylon was. It's right there in modern-day Iraq, and it's completely destroyed. But this is a mystery. So it's not talking about that Babylon. That Babylon was destroyed. It's talking about something mysterious. Babylon the Great the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She's drunk with that. So she's got a cup, it says, and in the cup there's the blood of the saints, and she's drunk with that blood, with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. So he has this vision of a woman that causes John to greatly wonder. And she's called a great harlot. In the Greek, it's megi porni. It's where we get the word mega and the word like pornography and all those things from porni. And really, harlot is a bad translation of this, okay? I mean, it's, it's okay, but the word harlot in English really means like, sorry, there's kids here, but like a slut, okay? But that's not what this word means. This word has to do with selling your body. It has to do with slavery, 
okay? And so it would be more correctly translated into English as the great prostitute or as it is in the King James as the great whore, although we don't use that word anymore and somebody's ears probably went up, how could he say that? But it's a good King James word. And uh, so we'd probably use the word prostitute today, okay? And it, the, the root meaning of porni, which is quite often in scripture, has to do with the buying and the selling of human slaves. That's what it really has to do with, okay? That's what pornography is about. That's what prostitution is about. That's what all forms of immorality are really about, is using other people, the buying and selling of human slaves. And the Bible's very clear about this. So when he has this vision of this great prostitute, he begins to wonder about this. Now, there's some stuff that's in your notes, some scriptures that are in gray, because I'm not going to take the time to open them, that I want to go through them real quick so you understand what they are. And if you have the time and you want to, you can look at them. So in Nahum, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you'll read there about the judgment on Nineveh. And Nineveh is called the great prostitute. Okay, Nineveh. Nineveh is a city that today is called Mosul. And if you ever followed any of the fighting in Iraq, then you heard about Mosul. And Mosul is a city in the north of Iraq. Okay, this is Nineveh. Nineveh became the capital of the ancient empire of Assyria. Nineveh is where Jonah went, right? And God forgave them. But by the time of Nahum, God is already ready to judge them because the forgiveness part is over for them already. Then in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, we read the story of Noah. How after the ark, at some point, don't we have funny stories in the Bible? I mean, they're really funny. <laughs> he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk with wine, okay? Noah, the man of God. And so he goes in his tent, and he's sound asleep. And it says that uh, his son, Ham, came in and saw his nakedness. Now, there's two ways to interpret this. Either he saw Noah naked or he saw his own mother naked. Either way, it was a perversity, okay? Because the nakedness of a man in the Old Testament often means his wife, okay? And uh, so whatever it means, what Ham did was very wicked. And somehow Canaan, the son of Ham, was involved in this wicked act. And then Shem and Japheth, you remember the story, walked backward and covered up the nakedness of their father. And when Noah woke up, he found out what happened and he pronounced a curse on Canaan, right? He did not pronounce a curse on Ham. Uh, people that used to think that, like all black people are cursed or something like that, that's completely non-biblical, okay? But he pronounced a curse on Canaan, and all the Canaanites eventually were destroyed. You can read about that historically in the, the Bible, and that Canaan was to serve uh, Shem. So then you go to Genesis chapter 10. And from verses 6 through 12, there's a story about Nimrod. Nimrod is the grandson of Ham through his son Cush. Okay? Nothing good ever comes of Ham in the Bible. I'm not saying that people that are descended from Ham are not good. That's not the point. Okay? But there's things that are true in the Bible, and then there's, you know, that, that, are, that are there as examples to us. Because of what Ham did, because of his perversity, because of his uncleanness, 
because he hated his father and did not honor his father and his mother. Then his son Cush had a son named Nimrod. And Nimrod was a great hunter, and he was a great warrior. And if you'll read that little, there's just a few verses there, but in that little story you learn that Nimrod is the beginning of Babylon. Okay, He builds a city called Babel. He's the one who builds the Tower of Babel. And this city is built in a place called Shinar. And Shinar is in what they call in school the Fertile Crescent. It's in Mesopotamia. Okay, It's modern-day Iraq. It's not fertile anymore. It's a desert now, but it was at that time. And then he branches out. And he goes from Babylon, and he establishes, it's all there in six verses. He establishes the city of Nineveh. So Nineveh is the fruit of Babylon. What I'm, what I'm trying to show you right now is you can see in Scripture that Babylon doesn't just stay with the location in modern-day Iraq, okay? It's a spirit, and it moves. You've got the Tower of Babel, and then you've got Nineveh that's the same Babel, okay? And then it keeps moving, and we've talked a lot about this, and eventually Rome is the fruit, the further fruit of Babylon, further out on the branch. It's the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream that's revealed to Daniel. It begins with the golden head of Babylon, but it ends with the ten toes of, of, of uh, Rome, that we've already talked a lot about this, okay? Then in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, is a prophecy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But if you'll read that in its context, it talks about the Messiah coming, and they'd be born of a woman, and that there would be seven shepherds, even eight shepherds, who would arise because of him. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because eight is the number of his resurrection. It's the number of the new day. It's the number of Sunday. And that there will be seven, even eight shepherds, who would arise from the Messiah, and they will rule over Nineveh with the sword, with the word of God. They will rule over Babylon. All these things that are prophetically spoken of in the Old Testament, and many more, are what we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. And if you've got a, a Bible with good uh, marginal notes or footnotes, you're going to find a lot of these scriptures because he's basically I'm you know, just quoting from Old Testament scriptures and bringing all these prophecies together in one by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's talk some more about her, about the great uh, prostitute, uh, the mega porny. It says that she sits on many waters. It says there that she sits on many waters. And this means that she rules over, verse 15 will tell us, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. She rules over them. She sit, the waters represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. She uses the power of her immoralities to make them rich, and by making them rich, she holds them in subjection to herself. Okay? She uses money to control people. She uses the power of her immoralities. The people of the earth, it says, are drunk with the wine of her immorality. So in verse 4, we see that she has a golden cup filled with abominations. So the word abominations in the Greek literally means things that churn your stomach. Something that would make you sick to ever look into that cup. It's filled with abominations and it's filled with uncleanness. 
But we find out later that ultimately that is the blood of the saints. And she's drunk on the blood of the saints. So there is, even though some people don't agree with this, there is, as we read in Revelation chapter 12, a conspiracy. There is a conspiracy. Now I'm not saying that, you know, people that we see in the news are actually sitting in some Masonic lodge somewhere dreaming these things up. But there's, maybe they are, I don't know. But there's a conspiracy between Satan and the two beasts that we read about in Revelation chapter 12 to destroy Jesus and that not being possible to destroy the Jews and that not being possible. Well, then we're going to turn with great wrath and destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Destroy all the other children, as it says there in Revelation 12, 17, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And we have to wake up to this. We can't just keep going around blind thinking that everything's just going to be okay and, you know, maybe in November we'll get the right people voted in and everything will change. And, and I hope we do get better people voted in in November. But that doesn't mean the conspiracy is going to change. That's not what the book of Revelation is talking about. That Satan is actively at work to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if... Boris can be, and his wife Helen can be an example to us, we have to be on guard. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Okay, so let's go to something else. Uh, it says that he's carried away into the wilderness, that there's this woman, there's this beast. So I want to give you, if you look on your notes, there's a chart. So look at that chart for a minute. This will take you some time to read over it and think about it. It's more like homework, but I'll go over it real quickly. It comes from Zechariah chapter 5, okay? Because ultimately, this spiritually, as the prophet spoke, as, as Zechariah spoke, this whore of Babylon, she is an unclean and wicked spirit that's sitting in something called the ephah in Zechariah. Now, if you were here, Many, many weeks, maybe months ago, we already looked at this in Zechariah chapter 5. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to read this at home and go over this and look at this. In Zechariah chapter 5, there are two parts to that chapter. It's not a very long chapter, but it's not an easy chapter to understand if you don't understand the symbolism. But there are two parts to it. So in the, the second column, you've got the first part. In the third column, you've got the third part. And then the first column is my attempt to compare them. Um, it would just be a whole hour of teaching in itself just to go over this. But Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, talks about the flying scroll, if you remember that. There's a scroll that's flying through the air, and then it lands in the house of the thief and the one who swears falsely to God. And then in Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, there's a little tiny woman, and she's sitting inside of an ephah, which is like a leader. And she's sitting inside the ephah, and then these two other women with wings like storks carry her around, okay? And they, they establish the city of Babylon. So we have to understand that this whore of Babylon is a spirit, and it moves from place to place. When we read Babylon in the Scripture, we should not be thinking about some desolate ruins and archaeological uh, uh, diggings in the south of Iraq, okay? This is a spirit that exists in government in our world today. So when you look at the second column, the flying scroll, uh, I'll just go through this real quick. The first line, 
going horizontally across. I've written there the pun because there is a pun in this. And the pun is this, that the word flying, if you read it in the Hebrew, is the word afa. And the word ephah in the Hebrew is the word ephah. And that's supposed to be a pun. It's supposed to draw your attention that this is talking about two things that look alike, that people think are alike, but they are very much not alike, like every pun works. Then the next line going across talks about the container and its contents. So the scroll, very clearly there, is the law or the Ten Commandments. Okay, It's the Word of God. We would say it like this. It's the Word of God. But the container and its contents are one and the same. The container and its contents are one and the same. The container of the Word of God is the Ark of the Covenant. Right? Where are the Ten Commandments located in the Old Testament? They're located in the early parts of the Old Testament. They're located in the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark is the law, and the law is the Ark. Where is the Word of God located today? The Word of God is located not on the Internet. It's located in the local churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's located in our hearts, and the hearts, and the minds, and the lives of real people, where it's preached, where it's taught. This is where the Word of God is located. So the church and the Word are one and the same. And so the scroll is the law, and the container of the scroll is the Ark of the Covenant. And you really see that because when we go over to the ephah, the ephah, just like we have today, if we said the word, I don't know, gallon, uh, that a gallon can mean a volume measure or it can mean a liquid measure or dry measure, depending on how you're using it. I'm not sure that's true about dry measure. I don't know. I've forgotten all that from school. But it can mean both the container and the contents that are in the container. Does that make sense? You know, I poured out a gallon of milk. I've got a gallon container for milk. They both are called gallon. Well, so the word ephah in the Hebrew. The ephah is a measure both of container, so that's the kingdom, the kingdom, and its contents, that's the wickedness and the whore of Babylon, who sits on the inside of it. There's the kingdom of Babylon, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist, and there's the spiritual force on the inside of it, which is the whore of Babylon, which is a spirit. After all, the scripture says very clearly that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. The next one says the in engines of flight. That's just me making that up. I don't know if that's good or not, <laughs> good English or not, but um, it's really interesting. When you look at, the first part of Zechariah chapter 5, uh, you'll read about the size of the, of the scroll. The size of the scroll is 20 cubits by 10 cubits. And then you'll compare that to the dimensions given in the law and the dimensions given in the temple of Solomon, especially where it's very clear when they built this, the temple, that next to the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim. They were images of cherubim, right? and that they were both 10 cubits high, and they were both had a wingspan of 10 cubits, five here and five here. But when they stood together, you had a wingspan of 20 cubits. So 20 by 10 is talking about the Ark of the Covenant, not just about the word that dwells on the inside. It's talking about the container and the contents. And then with the ephah, in the place, on the one hand, you have two angels 
Over here, you have two women, so we're going to just go ahead and call them two prostitutes. I'll use that word. On the other side, they have the wings of storks. I love storks. They're beautiful animals, but in the law, a stork is an unclean animal. Personally, I wouldn't eat a stork today. I don't know if you would, but it's an unclean animal. It's not an animal that you eat. So they are unclean women with wings of storks. So these can be compared to the Antichrist and the false prophet. But the Antichrist, listen carefully, the Antichrist and the false prophet are not the whore of Babylon. They carry the whore of Babylon. And as, if we get enough time to get there today, I don't know if we will or not, but they will destroy the whore of Babylon. They hate her guts, but they carry her, okay? They carry her. So they carry her in this ephah. And then the next little line across says the thief and the liar. And I really hope you'll read this at home and just think about it. Uh, Google some things if you want. Try to find some stuff out in commentaries or whatever. But there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But if you'll remember in Zechariah chapter 5, the, verse, the first part, when the law is brought, it flies around the scroll, the word of God, the Bible's flying around, and then it lands in the house of a thief. And it lands in the house of the one who swears falsely before God. That's just in four verses. And when it lands there, it brings a curse on those houses. Okay? So it brings a curse on the house of the thief and a curse on the house of the one who swears falsely by the name of the Lord. But with the ephah, we see like the other side of that. So the ephah in the scripture is a measure of two things. It's only used in two contexts. It's a measure of commerce. It's an economical measure, the ephah. Okay? Just like the barrel of oil is today. The ephah. Same thing as the barrel of oil. It's a measure of commerce, but it's also a measure that was used in the temple for bringing in offerings. So it deals with thieves who steal from people, and it deals with those who come before God and they lie to him, and they bear false witness before God. You understand? Because it has two contexts in the scripture. So the ephah is a measure of commerce and the measure for offerings before God. So it speaks of economical theft. It speaks of financial inequality. It speaks of false religion. And it speaks of lying before God. And then the last line across says landing pads. I know those have to do with helicopters, but why not for this also? And uh, uh, so when the scroll lands, it judges the house of God. Because if you'll read it carefully, it's dealing with the land of Judah. And it cleanses the impurities out of Judah. But when the ephah lands, it builds up the house of Satan. It establishes the house of Satan in a land called Shinar, which is Mesopotamian, Babylon. And it sets the woman whose name is wickedness, she's the whore of Babylon, upon a pedestal. And I'm telling you, she sits there to this day. And her kingdom, her pedestal is built upon commerce and upon lies, upon thieveries and lies. So in what is revealed to John here, all these, I, I really believe because there's so many allusions here, all these things would be going through his head. He very well knew the Old Testament prophets. And what is revealed to him today that here is this picture of this whore of Babylon. She's clothed with purple and scarlet. Those were the, the, the clothing the colors for clothing of the highest cost in the, in, the, in the ancient world. I mean, they'd be of high cost today. 
but they were of the absolute highest cost. You couldn't just get purple and scarlet. It was something that had to be a lot of money spent on these things. So it's a piece of wealth. Um, she's clothed as a queen. She sits on many waters, but it also says, pay attention to this, that she not only sits on many waters, she also sits on the beast itself. So in the picture, that's not the best picture, but she's riding the beast like a horse. And just like you would say, if you were riding a horse and the horse was walking through the sanctuary, you'd say, I'm riding through the sanctuary. So she's sitting on the waters because the beast is on the waters, but she's also riding on the beast itself. And the blasphemous names are, are upon her head. Okay, and it says, Babylon the great, the mother of whores and the abominations of the earth. Okay, so let's go on further in chapter 17. Hopefully I'll get through 17 today. The interpretation of the vision. The interpretation of the vision. In verse 7 it says, And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was, pay attention to the uh, tense of these verbs, and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Out of the abyss shows us that this is a demonic spirit, the spirit of a fallen being. Out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written, sometimes you wonder why this stuff happening in the world today. People are like gone nuts. Yeah, because they're being controlled by demonic beings. They have literally gone nuts. It says, whose name, uh, and those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So that's not us. I hope it's none of you. I believe it's none of you. It's not me. It's not you, right? Um, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads... So there's seven heads on the beast, are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. And we, we've talked some about this, but nonetheless, I know that that sounds confusing, but it's very much not confusing. It's very clear, and it's not difficult to, to understand at all. So let's talk about it for a few minutes. So it's an evil spirit, a fallen spirit, it comes out of the abyss. We've looked at that a lot. It says that this was. So that means this was on the earth, active, before John is writing this. Before the life of John, or at least before the moment he's writing this. Okay? Before the moment of the vision. It was active. And then it says, but it is not. That means it's not active at the time John is writing this. Okay? So it's not the Rome that John was dealing with. Right? It's not Nero in Rome. He's very clear about that. And then it says, or actually Nero was dead by this time, but uh, what was the guy's name there? <laughs> anyway, it's not the Caesar in Rome. And it says, but he will come. So this will happen after the time John writes. This is something that's coming, which already was, but is not right now. That's what John says to us. So it actually helps us out a lot because we can study history. There's nothing too difficult about, it, about, about thought, that. And this beast, or this spirit, the beast, which, remember, this is not the whore of Babylon. This is the beast that she's riding on. And we've already talked about the beast in chapter 13, right? The Antichrist, as we called him then. 
because John calls him that in his epistle. He causes everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life to wonder at his power and authority, and he unites peoples of the earth together in one empire. But then it says that if a mind has wisdom, you can understand this. And it's the same thing that was said in chapter 13, verse 18, about the number of the beast and the mark of the beast, the number of the man. And you can understand that it has seven heads, and that these seven heads are seven mountains that the woman sits upon. Now, I'm telling you this 100%, that when John wrote this and Christians first read this, they read Rome, because Rome is the city on seven hills. Okay? Rome is the city on seven hills. But John also said, it is not right now, but it will be, and it already has been. So they understand he's talking about something spiritual, not just about a physical city, but a, a, a city, a spiritual city that can move around to different places. Okay, it was Babylon, it was Nineveh, it's Rome as a city on seven hills. Well, I'm just throwing this out there for you, okay? Uh, but there are other cities today that are known as cities on seven hills. One of them is the city of Istanbul, which uh, the ancient world was called Constantinople. And that's the, the, the empire, the, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. It was also a city on seven hills. Not only that, but Moscow is a city built on seven hills. That's a fact. And Moscow is called the Third Rome. But not only that, Brussels, Belgium, the head of the European Union, is also called, you can look all this up online, called a city on seven hills. And not only that, but Washington, D.C. is a city on seven hills, okay? So she sits on seven hills. But when we understand it, we understand that these are seven mountains, and that mountains in Scripture, they represent kingdoms. So it very much has to do with some particular city, okay? I'm not saying it's one of those cities. Could be. Personally, for me, when I read through the whole thing of chapter 17 and 18, I challenge you to read it, and I'm telling you this. I've told you this before. I'm telling you this again. Maybe it'll change, but there's no nation on earth that so answers to all the things that have to do with the whore of Babylon other than the United States of America. And I mean, I hate to say that, but it's just, it's so obviously there. Now, maybe that'll change in 100 years. Maybe Jesus isn't coming back that soon. I don't know. But today, we are the nation that answers to all these things that are written here. And we at least need to wake up to the fact that that's very, very possible. So Washington, D.C. is also a city built on seven hills. All these cities are extensions of Rome. Seven speaks of seven kings also, not just of that. Seven is a number of completion in the scripture. So seven is a number of consolidation, of uniting the world into one power. The United Nations, right? does a lot of good things. I, I don't argue with that, you know, but most everyone here would agree that it does a lot of bad things too. And where's the United Nations located? In Russia? No, it's located in the United States of America, isn't it? And always has been. So there's some, there's some things that we need to keep our eyes open to. But then it says in verse 10 that it's not only seven hills, but it's also seven kings. And he says very clearly, five of these kings have fallen, past tense. So this happened before my vision, John's saying. Five of them fell. We can tell who those are because the kingdoms he's talking about in Scripture that doesn't have anything to do with China or 
I don't know, Japan or Korea or something, but every kingdom that had something to do with Jerusalem, that had something to do with the people of God. So the first kingdom is Egypt in the scripture. The second kingdom, this is in chronological order. The second kingdom is Assyria. The third kingdom is the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar. The fourth kingdom is Persia. And the fifth kingdom is Greece. All of those kingdoms had fallen at the time of John. That's chronological order. But in God's order, Babylon is really the beginning because it's the golden head. It goes way back to Nimrod. But those are the five. Then he says one of them is right now. Well, everybody that would have read what John wrote here knew what he's talking about. He's talking about the Rome that's in Italy. He's talking about the Caesars that are in Rome. The Rome that's in all of our movies and our stories and all that kind of stuff. The famous Rome, right? He's talking about that Rome. But that's not the end of the line. Then he says one of them is coming. So there are seven of these. And one of them is coming. Now the Rome that existed at the time of John no longer exists today. Correct. But when the new Rome will come, the ten toes on the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, they're made of iron and clay. And any of you that have plastic parts on your car know that plastic and iron don't always work together so well. Plastic and steel. <laughs> iron and clay don't mix. Right? But they're made of iron and clay. And it's the exact picture of our world today. All the races and nations of the world, it doesn't matter what they try to tell us about a peace that will exist forever and a war that ended all wars. We keep fighting anyway. Nations keep fighting with each other anyway. And we have a Rome today that exists that's made of iron and clay. That Rome, we've talked about this already, the present system of Rome, it came into existence in A.D. 800, at least officially. Because in A.D. 800, Charlemagne was crowned as the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire by the Pope in Rome. And he established a new Roman Empire. And then in 1500, A.D. 1500, uh, in A.D. 1500, Ivan or Ivan III married the daughter or the granddaughter of the last Roman emperor in Constantinople because the Roman Empire existed longer in the East than it did in the West. And when he married her, he called Moscow the third Rome, and it's called that to this day, and the Pope in the other Rome agreed to that. They were all combined in this together. So we have a Roman Empire that exists today. It exists today, it exists in North America, it exists in South America, it exists in Europe, it exists in Russia, it exists all over the world, and it's the superpowers of the world, although now, China, which is not technically a part of that, is rising, but we've got the kings from the east also. All this stuff is in the Bible. And it's really actually quite exciting to live in a day when we see it all coming to pass. But the big turning point, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, the thing to watch for, and I'm just going through this fast because we've talked a lot about this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is that some prince of Rome will make a covenant with the people of Israel. And when he makes that covenant, there will begin a seven-year period that will culminate halfway through with an abomination of desolation and the beginning of the time of the Great Tribulation. And as I've said, maybe we're in that already. I don't really know. I mean, maybe it's already happened. 
Because we won't necessarily know for sure what that covenant thing is. But we, it could be that Abraham's accords, it could be something else. But we will know if we're watching when the abomination of desolation comes to pass. And we should be aware of those things. And today we definitely should be aware that these are days when we need to stand strong with Jesus because there is a battle raging. Then let's, let's read on a little bit more, just a couple more minutes. A few more minutes. A couple is probably not the right word. Verse 11. It says, the beast which was and is not. So the beast was and is not, but he is to come, right? He is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. Okay, let me make this real simple for you. There are seven heads, seven kingdoms, seven hills. You've got Assyria, you've got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, you've got Persia, you've got, then it switches to the west. Those are eastern. Then it switches to the west. You've got Greece, you've got Rome, and you've got what I call barbarian Rome, the new Rome, when Rome was conquered by so-called barbarians. We still live in that Holy Roman Empire. It just changes names. The European Union is the same old Holy Roman Empire. The United States is born out of that. You know, there's no shame in that. It's just the world we live in. We ought to wake up and, and realize that. We live in that Roman Empire. It will last for a long time, it says. It's given a period to last. So you've got those seven. Well, the Antichrist, the beast himself, he has these seven heads, but he himself is actually an eighth kingdom. Something new. Eight always signifies a new day because a week is seven days long. Eight is a new day. So he's a new kingdom, but he's one of those seven. Okay? So he has to be either, if you follow the logic here, he has to be either from Egypt. No, I shouldn't use the word from because that's getting too physical about this. It's spiritual. He has to be Egypt, he has to be Assyria, he has to be Babylon, well, they're all Babylon, or Persia, or Greece, because those are the ones that were, but they are not. And it's, we've already seen very clearly that he comes from the ones that were. And as I've told you before, I have a theory on this, that he is Greece as a spiritual power, as a spiritual power. Because in Daniel, there are only two evil spirits that are named. One is the prince of Persia, and one is the prince of Greece. And the prince of Persia was defeated by Michael, but the prince of Greece was coming to fight, if you remember that. And the prince of Greece has everything to do with that word that we fight all our wars in today, in the honor of today, democracy. Okay? But a word which was foreign to our founding fathers, actually, who did not want a democracy like, like Greece has. But it can very, very easily come back to understanding of the world that we live in, where in the name of democracy, everything is done. There's no reason to think, absolutely no reason to think, every, everybody's elected to office today, don't you know that? Pick any dictator you want around the world, they're elected to office. Biden's elected to office, Putin's elected to office, go through South America, everybody's elected to office today, right? And in the name of democracy, anything can happen. It's so easy to make anything happen. And when the majority rules, obviously Jesus doesn't rule because when Jesus rules, it's never with the majority. So the beast is his eighth kingdom. He has his head in 
chapter 13, verse 2, we see is the lion, which is Babylon. He's one of the seven, and he, but he doesn't, it's also important for you to understand, he doesn't, he isn't revealed until the beginning of the time of the Great Tribulation in the last three and a half years. So you can spend all the time you want trying to guess who he is today and what kingdom it is today, but it's not going to turn out the way you guess. It's a mystery, it says. But we know enough that we should be prepared, that we should be ready, and we should not be taking the mark of the beast or going along with the one who is called the son of perdition who goes unto destruction. So look at verse 12. Almost done. Verse 12, it says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. That's the Armageddon that we've already looked at and we've already talked about. If I had more time, I'd talk about it in more detail. But we've talked about that. You understand that. But let's talk about the ten horns. They're, the ten horns are ten kings. But this is important for you to understand. They're not really kings. They don't really have authority. They receive their kingdom for a period of time. That's the same thing as saying they're voted into office. But they're nobodies. They don't really have a kingdom. Okay, They're not people who are really kings, but they receive a kingdom for a time. Historically, this already happened. When, if you study the, the fall of the first Rome, the barbarian invade Charlemagne, Carl the Great is nothing more than just a barbarian invader who was the most powerful warrior and had the best contacts with everybody. But he wasn't born into the line of the Caesars. You know, he didn't have the, quote, royal blood. He started a new royal line. It already happened with the barbarian invaders that when Rome fell the first time. And so we see it happening today. With modern presidents, dictators, all these things, they receive their mandate democratically and they receive from the beast. This is throwing in a little bit of politics and a little bit of recent news, okay? And I don't want to dwell on that. But I, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm, I'm being honest with you. You have to know this first of all. I'm not a big fun, fan of Donald Trump, okay? And I'm not a big fan of him. And most people that know me know this on a personal basis just because he's so loudmouthed and he says so many foul things. But on the other hand, he did a lot of great things as a president. You know, and I don't want to get into the politics of all this and everything. And it was definitely better than Hillary for me, personally, anyway. But I was just kind of wishing we'd have a you know, real presidential president. But whatever. Be that as it may. What happened with the FBI and his residence in Florida? That's never happened in the history of America. Never. It's never happened. Think of Nixon. Think of anybody you want. Think of Andrew Johnson. I mean, think of anybody you want to. We've had some really bad presidents. I'm not saying Nixon was a bad president. You know, what Nixon did <laughs> compared to what they do these days is nothing. But, but you know, politically, we've had bad presidents. But that just doesn't happen in America. It just doesn't happen in America when they kicked him off of Twitter. You know, I think Twitter's stupid, personally. I don't know. never been on Twitter. don't want to be on Twitter. But if that's a way to communicate to people, when you silence the sitting president of the United States of America, when you prosecute the former president of the United States of America and some judge gives you, you know, the right to go into his home with 
FBI agents armed with automatic weapons and take stuff out of his home. That's never happened in the history of America. We've got to wake up and realize that everything is changing. Everything is changing. It's already changed. Okay? Whether America is Babylon the Great or not, and we're not going to get to chapter 18 today, but when we go through chapter 18 next week, you'll see, I'll give you the symptoms of Babylon's disease, and you'll see that every one of those symptoms is something America is sick with today. But things are falling. Things are crumbling around us. You know, I mean, it's, it's like I actually feel sympathy or compassion for Donald Trump and his family. You know, to go through that, and when you hear that, that some people are talking about threats of his assassination and I mean, it, it is like a banana republic. It's like something third world. It's like everything in the nation has changed. Now, I don't want to get into political fights with anybody about politics or anything like that, but scripturally, we live in these times. I mean, we live in a day when there is a new world order arising. There is a beast that is arising today, and there will be new kings that will be, quote, democratically elected, they will be given power, they will be given a mandate, and then they will turn, it says very clearly here, that they will give their mandate back to the Antichrist. They will surrender their sovereignty, the sovereignty of the United States, the sovereignty of Great Britain, the sovereignty of Russia, whatever nation it is. But these ten kings will surrender their sovereignty to the Antichrist. And if you think that's impossible, well, it's not because it's already happened over the last 50, 60, 70 years, and it's happening more and more and more. And the nations of the earth will tremble in fear like they tremble in fear today. But if you read into chapter 18, we're going to get to that next week. As they tremble in fear, they're also going to be filled with hatred and just waiting for the opportunity to rip that whore of Babylon to shreds because they hate what she has done to them. It's the world that we live in today. And it's, it's not scary, it's quite exciting, because it doesn't end with chapter 18, it ends with chapter 19 with Jesus coming back. And this is, the, this is revealed to John by this angel, who's telling him that this is about the fall of Babylon. This is not about the rise of Babylon. What we said today is not the rise of Babylon, but it is the, the fall of Babylon. In Daniel chapter 7, Verse 24, it says, As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones. That's the Antichrist, the eighth kingdom. And he will subdue three of these kings. That's why, the, if you remember, why Satan has seven horns. The dragon has seven horns, but the Antichrist has ten. Because there's really only seven. And he will subdue three of these, just like Charlemagne did. He will speak words against the Most High, is that happening today? It's happening all over our nation today. He will wear down the saints of the highest one. Any of you feel tired, worn out? I got a text today from a person. Oh, wait a minute. I was trying to think of who I got from. Well, this is Dave Chisholm. Everybody knows him. <laughs> he said, and in that text, he said, this wheat and tares thing is wearing me out. And I know exactly what he's talking about. It's like... The Antichrist is just working overtime to wear down. I, I wrote back to him. And I said, well, the good news is that he's going to send his angels and he's going to gather the terrors and he's going to burn them all up. But it's going to take some time. But it's, it's wearing us out. His, his work is to wear us out. 
to wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in laws, and they will be given into his hand. The saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a times. So, chapter 17, it ends with talking about the woman. It says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes, verse 15, and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. Now, I'm not going to say tonight. I'm going to leave that up to you. Nothing fits the picture of the harlot so well as the system, not the people and not the country, but the system that the United States of America has been operating under of, of late. And I want to tell you as a person who's traveled to many, many different countries around the world, people in other countries love Americans and hate America. I don't know how to explain that to you. But they hate what the system does to them and how it makes them slaves. Whether it's America or not or some other thing, I, I can tell from personal experience that this is very easy to understand. Personally, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, thank God, I've never been with a harlot. But, but I, I can tell you from some bad experiences in my life that it's possible to, quote, love another person and actually hate them because of what they've done to you. Do you know what I'm saying? And it sounds... It's like something I don't want to talk about in church, but it's right there in the Bible. So they're bound to this harlot. They can't get away from this harlot, but secretly they would love to annihilate her, to get rid of her, because she's got the, uh, what do you call that in English, what they call in Russian, compromat. Um, well, she's got the dirt on them, and she knows what to do, and, and they're too afraid to stand up to her because she'll be calling their wives and telling them all about it. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's the picture that you're seeing here. It says that they hate the harlot, and they will make her desolate and naked. They will eat her flesh, and they will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. So, the woman whom you saw is Rome. But it's not the Rome in Italy that was in power when John was writing, because he said, this one will come. Okay, It is Rome, but it's that spirit of Rome that moves around the earth. It really doesn't matter whether it's the United States of America or Russia or it's the United Nations as everybody combined. The fact is, every one of us know that we live in the middle of this whore of Babylon today, that it exists today. And it will be destroyed. But here's one thing to be aware of. It will be destroyed by the system of the Antichrist. And it's a very fine line here. Sometimes you can be, you know, uh, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Sometimes you can say, well, let's vote for this radical new conservative guy that's going to, destroy all this evil in our nation and get us back to, you know, whatever it was supposed to be. And it turns out the radical new conservative guy is the Antichrist, and what was before is just a whore of Babylon. You understand what I'm saying? Remember, the Antichrist and the false prophet are not the whore of Babylon. 
they carry her in their ephod and they use her to gain power. All these things sound, you know, they're, they're, they're very tricky. And that's why it's so important for the saints of God. And we, we didn't get to it tonight, but in chapter 18, that's when the voice comes and says, you need to get out of Babylon. Come out of her. Come out of her and live your lives separately, sanctified unto the Lord. Because that whole system is coming down and Jesus Christ is coming back. Okay, amen. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I pray that these things, though there's much here written, Lord, and it can be confusing, that you make these clear to us, Lord. That you make it very clear to us, whether we remember numbers and all these things, Lord. And I don't think there's anything too difficult for us to understand if we would meditate in these things and live in these things, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that we would allow your scroll, your flying scroll to come into our houses and cleanse us and purify us, Lord. If there's any thieveries, if there's any false swearing before you, if there's any taking of your name in vain, Lord, that you would cleanse us from those things and you would cleanse the house of God, that judgment would begin in the house of God, that we might be prepared, that we might be ready in these last days to be separate from this world, Lord to stand in your ranks, to be gathered together to you on that sea of glass, Lord, in these last days, and to be separate from this world that is going to destruction. It is going to perdition. I pray, Lord. I pray that we would have an ark. Just help us to build this ark, Lord, so that we could save our families, that we could save our lives, but that we could also save people that need to be saved and want to be saved from this world, Lord. Help us not to compromise. Help us not to play, play footsie with the world, play games with the world and pretend like everything's okay, Lord, when it's really, really not okay. And you are coming back, Jesus, I pray. I thank you for these words that you revealed to us. They're harsh and, and they're not easy to read or to even think on. Maybe they're easy to gloss over, but not easy to really think on, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to tell us that the house is on fire and you need to get out. You need to, you need to get out and save yourselves and be prepared. I thank you, Lord, that you love Noah enough and his family enough to save them from the destruction coming upon the world, Lord. And I pray that we would be of those five wise virgins who have enough oil to make it through the night until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, sorry I kept you longer tonight, but I had to finish chapter 7. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.